worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, Hero of Heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. storm you'll be faithful forevermore you have done great things and I know you will do it again for your promises yes and amen you will do great things God you do great things Good to see everybody back here today and uh, just a few announcements as we begin first of all we say this every week for our visitors we are so honored to have you here with us today and maybe you're visiting today to support the Hudler family maybe you're here with a friend maybe you just 
been meaning to get in church for a long time and you're here today. We are just honored to have you. And if you are visiting with us today, we would encourage you to please stop by our guest table before you leave. It's located in the lobby. And we would encourage you to fill out either a card there or you can fill out the care card that's in your bulletin. And in that care card is also an opportunity for you to put more details. Maybe some of you are interested in church membership. If you would mark that on there, and uh, you can just put those in the baskets located at the back of the room, but we would love to have a record of your visit. Um, and then also just a reminder, we do have the barbecue today right after the service. Jamie will give you more detail concerning that at the end of the service, but uh, some of you that have asked about how you can give, um, there are several ways. Some of you put that in your offering envelope and you can mark it specifically for that in addition to your tithe. Um, some of you um, may wanna give as you go into the takeout room, there's a basket there. And then also, if you're not prepared with a check or cash like most people are nowadays, we have the online giving option. You can go into our website at easttaylorsville.com, click on Give there, and there's a designation in a drop-down box for ETBC Baptist Men's Barbecue for today. So uh, many ways that you can give, and maybe you don't want to stay for the barbecue today, but you want to support the family. You can do any of those to support the family. But we are thankful that you're here today. And as we begin our service, I just want to read passage of scripture that really ties in well to what our praise team just sang. And this was Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. And it says this, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. So I'm going to ask you to stand, take a minute to greet your neighbor, welcome them to the service, and let's prepare our hearts for worship.
Good morning. Aren't you glad that our Lord is more than print on a page, that he's a living God? He lives within us. I have a few things to announce this morning. Our Sunday school starts next Sunday, and we're, we're asking all the teachers to be in the sanctuary. If you can be there at 915 for a moment of prayer. Also, on May the 8th, we're going to have the National Day of Prayer. It's going to be from 10 a.m. to 11.30. As you see that on the screen, we're going to be at Alexander County Courthouse. We need to pray for our nation. We need to be in prayer for our nation, for the church, and uh, I ask you to come if you can to be a part of that. Also, we want to remember people who have lost loved ones this past week. I want to remember Zane Murdoch, uh, Dustin Bill, and Tim Kiever. They've lost people in their families, and we need to pray for them. Also, we want to pray for Lisa Hudler. Today, we were honoring her and her family and Joel. I pray you'd pray for her and her health. Trent texted me early this morning. I, I don't know what time it is there, but he has a friend, and in, in, in that part of the world, uh, he, ha he has no medical help. They can't get any help for him. He's a Christian, and so I want to pray for him this morning. I want to remember Shirley Lambert this morning as she's at Baptist Hospital. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray for these needs. Father, we thank you this morning that you're the living Lord. That, Father, you said in your word that to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And, Father, we come to seek you this morning because you're alive and well. Lord, that you're more than words on a page. You're here with us. You're risen. You're a living Lord. And, Father, you've come to help us. And, Father, we pray for the needs of those who are hurting. Father, those who have lost loved ones this week, we pray that you'd be the comforter, Lord, in their life. Lord, you'd bring them peace. And, Lord, that you'd help them the days to come. And, Father, for those who are going through difficult times, we pray your presence and power be so ever real. That you'd come and bring healing and help to their life because you're the great healer, you're the great physician, and they need you this morning, and their families need you this morning. And Father, we pray that you'd bless Sunday school that comes up next Sunday. We pray you'd bless the teachers as they prepare this week. We pray you'd bless those who come, and we may, may learn, and Lord, learn your word and apply it to our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us this morning. Thank you for being here. We come to worship you and honor you and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
breaks me down to my knees. Lord, I've been broken more than a time or two. Oh, yes, I have. But you pick me up and show me what it means to be yours. Come on and sing on. Thank you, praise team. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Probably one of the most familiar passages in all the Old Testament. It's certainly the longest account in uh, 1 Samuel. One of the amazing things about this chapter is there are 22 quotations. We have the longest speech of any of Israel's enemies. 
And it's probably a story that, uh, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you know it by heart. It's, it's over 57, or it's 58 verses long, but we're just going to look right now at verses 45 through verse 51. The Bible says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and a, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Notice that word defied. It's used about seven times. This is the key uh, word in 1 Samuel 17. This is why context matters. This is why this chapter is not about facing your giants, necessarily. This chapter is about the glory and honor of God. David says this, You have defied, mocked, insulted my God. And that's what brings about David's uh, offense and his zealousness to defeat this giant. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David's saying the reason you're going to lose is because I serve a God who is sitting on the throne and he's alive. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with, with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into your hands, into our hands. And what David is saying is this. Not only will the whole world know that God is alive, but both sides of this mountain, where you guys have been yelling at each other for 40 days about who God, whose God was the strongest, we're about to find out. That's what David says. So it was, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David did not wait. He was not scared. He was not frightful. The age to be in the military at this time in Israel was 20. David had to be 19 or less. And David runs to meet the giant. He runs. He's ready to do this. And then the Bible says this. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine. With a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David, because he didn't need one. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley, through the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharam and as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the, Philist the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. What a story. What a gruesome, brutal story uh, for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, help us to be like David. Father, Goliath really is a picture of our culture. It's really a picture of the religious system of the day or the secular system of the day who mocks God, who says there's no God, Lord, help, help us to be like David. To be offended, to have righteous anger, to take risk, Father, for your glory. Father, help us to understand that what David fought for, we should fight for. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight. To fight the good fight. Father, everything in this chapter deals with God's honor, God's glory, the true living God of Israel. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Father, help us to never compromise who we are as Christians. Help us not to be like the Israelites who had a covenant promise for God, with God, but were too afraid to stand up for what they believed in. 
And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, when you think about this, when you think about something, when you think about this chapter, some, or even in your own life, some compliments that people give you mean more than the same compliment somebody else could give you. For instance, if you mowed your grass really well and your neighbor says your yard looks good, that would mean something. But if one of the better landscapers in the state of North Carolina came to you and said your yard looks good, would that not mean something to you? If you wrote a paper for your class and one of your friends read it and said, that is a tremendous paper, would that not mean something to you? But what if the professor of professors of your college got it and said, this is amazing? Would that not mean just a little bit more? When God looks down in Israel, he looks at David and gives him the greatest compliment anybody could give anybody. He said, there is a man after my own heart. Why? Listen, and if so, if that is true, if David is the great one, should we not learn from him? Should we not be a student of his life? In every situation, good and bad, one pastor said this, the creator of heaven and earth, the architect of people and personalities says, there is a great person. I want to use him. I trust him. He is the one. We should take notice of every situation in his life, good and bad, and learn from him. This story shows us what God saw in David over all the others and why he was great. This passage is not about you mustering up your strength to face giants. There are other passages that deal with that. This is not it. Trust me, this is not it. It's about a teenager being upset that a pagan would mock and challenge his God. He said on that day, I'll take a stand and you will not mock my God. The real giant in this passage is David. It's not Goliath. The real giant in this passage is David. Look at verse 29. David says to his older brother, What have I done now? And now notice this. Is there not a cause? Is there a cause in your life? Is there a spiritual cause in your life? When you get up every morning and you go to work or you go to school or you go to wherever you go, is there a cause? David told his brother, is there not a cause? You guys are standing on each side of this mountain yelling, to you there's no cause. To me there's a cause and I'll risk my life for the cause. That's what this chapter's about. Churches should stop preaching series out of this passage on facing your giants and preach a series on the doctrine of God because Goliath was a blasphemer. And David would not allow that to go on. I see it all the time in culture today, especially with evangelicals. You let some well-known pastor write a book, and he does his book tour on secular news, and they'll ask him very spiritual questions, and then he gets scared, right? Like one well-known pastor, he wrote a book, and he sold uh, over a million copies. And he was, the, he was the darling of the secular media. And then one day, one, one night, on the evening news, one of the commentators said this, do you believe Jesus is the only way? And he goes, yeah. He says, well, let me ask you a question. What about a really good Muslim? Do they go to heaven? What about a really good Mormon? What about a really good atheist? And it, the room was full of people, so he got scared. He says, that's above my pay grade. I just don't know. You don't know. You don't know. You stand with a Bible in your hand, and because of book sales... And because you're on TV and you want to be liked, you don't know. Do you realize that David stood alone? I'll stand alone and tell you I know. Only faith in Christ brings salvation. Only faith in Christ. And there's no one good, no, not one. Jesus said that. No one's good. We all need Jesus. I tell people all the time, Nicodemus was a good, moral, good Jew. And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. 
Friends, David would say this to us today. Is there not a cause? The culture today is Goliath. There's, what Goliath says is this. There's no true God. No true way to know God. And if he was alive today, his, his, his theology would be this. Jesus is a good moral example and nothing more. And churches and so-called Christians nod their head in agreement. Jesus, talking to his disciples, said this. Who do men say that I am? Who is he to you today? There's only one right answer. That will determine your eternal destiny. There's only one. The disciples said this. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah. What compliments? If somebody came to me and said, you're like John the Baptist, I'd say thank you. If you're like Elijah, I'd say thank you. If you're, you're like Jeremiah, I'd say thank you. What a compliment. That's not true, but thank you. But you don't say that to God. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Jeremiah. He's not Elijah. He's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Notice, they go on to say this. Then, then Jesus said this, who do you say I am? And Peter said this. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail and will not overcome it. The church is built on the fact, the historical fact, that Jesus is the Messiah. He was crucified, buried, died, and rose from the dead. And that only faith in this resurrected Christ saves. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause in Alexander County today that's worth fighting for? See, this is a battle of theology here. This is a battle of worldviews. This is not you facing your giants, your, your emotional giants, your, your financial giants. This is a theological battle here today, and, and it gives us small details. Why did would God write 50 some, 58 verses and list things like the number of cheeses David brought? Because he wanted us to remember this story. It's so much more than just David and Goliath. It's about, is there a true God, and are you willing to stand for him? Is there a true God, and are you willing to stand for him? Notice these things here. We're just going to look at different people and things. Notice first thing, the armies. It's in verse 1, if you'll notice on the screen. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and they were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soka and Azekah in the Ephes Damon. Now notice this picture. This is an actual picture somebody took. You see on the left is Saul's camp. That's Israel. There's Sukkah. You see the creek there in the middle. That's where David got his five smooth stones. And then you see where the Philistines camped. And Azekah is where this guy took the picture. It's in the Valley of Elah. Okay? And what you have in this story in the first three verses, you have Israel's army here. You have the Philistine army here. And they're just shouting at each other. One Old Testament scholar of the 20th century said this. The atmosphere in this place is such that, and the air is so thin that if you stood on one side of the mountain and somebody stood on the other side of the mountain and you talked like I'm talking right now, you could hear them plain as day. Your voice would carry over a mile. So here you have these armies, all right, screaming at each other. Now here's the thing we got to understand. This is a picture of the battle of God's armies versus Satan's armies, really. God had given a promise to the children of Israel. As long as you obey me. You remember what Moses said to him? He said, on this day I want you to choose life or death. And what I mean is this, you choose me or you choose the other gods. If you choose me, your crops will be fine. If you worship me, I'll, I'll protect you in battle. If you worship me, all these things will happen. But if you don't, if you don't, it's not going to rain as much. 
when you go to battle, you're on your own. And we see Israel's on their own right here, right now. At this moment, they're on their own. That's why they're so scared. You remember back when Saul became king? This is, this is what they said. This is what they said. They, they made this statement. They asked for a king. So Samuel prayed to the Lord back in chapter 8. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say and do, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. That's the picture. That happened in verse chapter 8. They said, We want a king. And God says, well, Samuel, do it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. The people said to Samuel, Samuel said, don't do that. And the people said, no, but we, ha- we will have a king over us. That we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So this is the consequences of this prayer. Sometimes God gives you what you ask for. By chapter 17, God has taken his anointing off Saul. And you see these people who asked for a king who would take them into battle. And this is what fighting in your own flesh looks like. They're standing on one side scared. Uh, the Philistines, who are a terrifying group of people, if you study history, they go all the way back to Abraham. They would come in and get, camp on the coast, and then they'd work their way in as far as they could go. And they're right here at this moment. See, Jonathan had run them out in chapter 14, and now they're back. They never go away. In the promised land, you know what God said? Get rid of all of them, and they didn't. And they were Israel's perpetual enemy over and over and over and over again. They just wouldn't go away. But you have these armies here standing one on one side, one on the other. Typically in a battle like this, in the first days of the battle, twenty to 30,000 people would be dead that day in that valley. That's why they're hesitant. Think about this. This is the first battle Saul has faced since being rejected by the Lord in chapter 16. In the past, Saul could rely on God's saving help, but now Saul and Israel would have to manage things on their own. It's a sad day to fight without the Lord. It's a sad day. I hear people all the time say, how do people that aren't saved go through certain things? I said, it's not good. Funerals are different. Weddings are different. Trials and heartaches are so different when you don't have the Lord. I see people and I preach funerals where the person in the casket and the family in the pews have no hope. You try to give them hope from the pulpit. You don't judge a person in the casket, but you know that you know. Then you see an army fighting in the name of God without God. In their own strength. And they're terrified. Notice the second thing. That's the armies. Then we notice the most, one of the most famous people in the Old Testament, Goliath. Notice what the verse says on the screen. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Notice his height. He's about nine foot six or nine foot nine. The tallest person I've ever met and stood beside of in my life is Christian Porzingis. The year that I went to the Bahamas, he won NBA Rookie of the Year. And we were staying at the hotel beside the Atlantis. And I think he stayed at our hotel because that's, if you're going to the Bahamas and you're poor, that's where you stay. He just probably didn't want to be noticed. You know who noticed him? Seven foot three, nobody, but me and one woman. And I told Renee, I said, I'm going to go stand beside this guy. I'm just going to go stand beside him. He's in the buffet line. So I stand beside, behind Christian Porzingis, and here I am. I'm like this close to him, and his waist is like right here. His waist is like this. He turned around and looked at me and said, what's up, Jamie? I said, no, he didn't. But anyway, he's, he was tall. And I remember looking up at him, and he was seven foot three. Imagine adding about two feet to that. It's amazing. It's amazing how tall... Goliath is. 
And not only was he tall, he was a champion. He was a skilled warrior and a killer. He wasn't some string bean dude. He was tall. Notice his armor as well. The Bible goes on to say this in verse 4 and 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels. The weight of his coat was about 126 pounds. It goes on to say this. He had a bronze armor, bronze armor on his legs, a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. The, the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. 15 pounds. Have you ever grabbed a sledgehammer and tried to touch your nose with it? I dare you to try it. That's not 15 pounds. Imagine throwing something that weighs 15 pounds. And then he had a shield bearer, a guy that carried his shield into battle. What an enemy. But you know what, what, what upset David was this next verse. Notice verse 10. Now, I want to read verse 8 to you as well. This was his religion. Verse 8. Goliath says this. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Back in those days, what they'd do sometimes because Philistines and Israelites both knew 20 to 30,000 people are going to die today even if we win. Even if we win. All right? And what they would do from time to time is each side would pick their champion in the name of their God and they would fight. And whoever lost would be the servant of the other nation or the other army. Very risky. You better believe in your guy, right? They choose Goliath and say, hey, let's, let's, let's not get all this bloodshed. Our champion will fight your champion. Now notice the quote, how this is quoted by one scholar. One scholar put it this way. This is what Goliath saying in verse 8. Goliath's challenge of verse 8 was really a test of their confidence in the Lord. Roger Elworth paraphrases Goliath's taunt this way. Am I not a pagan, God-hating Philistine? Then why won't any of your men of the living God fight me? You must not really believe in him at all. In fact, you must believe that a nine-foot warrior is actually stronger than your living God when it comes to a real battle. That's what he's saying. You say you believe in your God? Well, let's do this then. Let's put him to the test if he's real. you got to admire Goliath. you got to admire Goliath at this moment. Well, if you say he's real, you're over there shouting about him. Forty days in a row you've been talking about your God. Well, let's see if he's real. You said he'd fight your battles, then come on out here and let's see if he'll do it. And then in verse 10, he says this, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. That word defy means literally what he's doing. It means to mock. It means to insult, to scorn, to ridicule, to defy. It reminds me when Jesus was on the cross, the same word was used by the Pharisees. And what Goliath is saying is this, put up or shut up. Is your God real? Then let's find out. You've got to admire Goliath. And what do the Israelites do? Nothing. Then we have King Saul. Now think about this. Look at verse 11. The natural candidate to fight Goliath was King Saul. He was the tallest man in Israel. He was anointed by God. But look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. What a man. Ladies, if you're married to this guy, I feel sorry for you. If that's the characteristics of your husband in the face of trials, storms, and hardships, I feel bad for you. Now, if you have a man of God leading your house, he'll stand up and fight for you. Amen? Greg Laurie said this, 99% of 
of all of Harvest Church's problems would be solved if men would just be the men that God called them to be. Don't be like Saul. When the enemy comes and you have a promise from God and then you're still scared. And see, armies take on the characteristics of their leadership. So Saul has led the whole country of military fighting men to be scared. That is a life lived without God in your life. God rejected Saul in chapter 16 and this is the consequences of that rejection. What a sad day to be the king of Israel. What a sad day to be the king of Israel. Proverbs 28.1 says this, The righteous are as bold as a lion, and here Saul is dismayed and greatly afraid. Notice verse 25 on the screen. Saul's trying to figure something out, and he says this, So, so the men of the Israel said, Have you seen this man talking to David? Because David comes as a teenager. David's dad says, Listen, my sons have been in battle, which they weren't in battle, for 40 days, take this food down to your, uh, your brothers. It's the only way you could feed the armies. So as David comes down, he sees what's going on, and then he asks, what's, what's happening here? And the, so the men said, of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up talking about Goliath? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king one rich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in all Israel. Saul says, i got to get somebody to fight this battle. Now, this is how pagan Saul is at this moment. He's willing to take anybody and put the, his wife's family, his nation's family at risk to fight Goliath. Now, that's a pretty good deal. No taxes. Marry his daughter. I don't know what she, who she was. And then you got great riches. And guess how many men stood up to do that? Absolutely none. Because they've taken on the characteristic of their king. They're as afraid as he is. Thank God for David. When David comes up, he tells Saul, I'll fight for, I'll fight for the, the nation. I'll do it. And after a while, Saul says this, okay, let's do it. And Saul tries to put his armor on David. And David says, I can't fight like this. I can't wear this stuff. I can't fight like this. And then notice what Saul says. This is where Saul is spiritually in the next verses. So Saul said to David, this teenage boy, he said, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. He says, go and the Lord be with you. I'm praying for you. Praying for you, brother. Good luck. Hunger Games, good luck. Do the best you can. That's where Saul is. Hey, I tell you what, guys, let's let this teenager fight for us. This kid who don't have no armor and has a slingshot. What leadership? Everything rises and falls on leadership. Good thing God's working in spite of him, right? And then he so he clothed David with his armor, and then thank goodness David took it off. And then let's look at the giant David. Notice David here. When David first came up on the scene, the first giant he faced was his brother. Now think about this. Up to this point, all the voices are secular and unbiblical. They all have an unbiblical worldview, and then David shows up and changes all that. Up to this point, the narrative has been godless. David shows up and it gets all biblical. David is saying, doesn't having a living God make a difference in all this? You expect the holy living God to allow an uncircumcised Philistine to drag his name in theological mud? The Christian worldview should give us all a whole new perspective on everything. Are you going to compromise your faith and your beliefs because of safety, friendships, and popularity? The truth is a truth, and facts do not care about your feelings. They don't. 
The soldiers refer to Goliath in verse 25. Have you seen this man? The soldiers saw a giant. David sees a blasphemer. The soldiers think Goliath is insulting Israel. David says, no, they're insulting the living God. See, the problem here isn't a military problem. It's a spiritual problem. It is not a military problem. It's a spiritual problem. Their eyes are on Goliath. David's eyes are on God. In David's mind, they didn't stand a chance to lose because their God was alive and their defender. Notice verse 28. David runs into his brother. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. David was speaking to the men. And David's first words recorded in the Bible are theological in nature. Who is this guy to defy the armies of the living God? Is what he says. And then Eliab, his brother, hears it and he says this. Notice in verse 28. Why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? What he's saying is, listen, younger brother, go back to your sheep, the few that we give you. Hey, never let somebody with a pagan mindset try to stop God's will in your life. And don't get counsel from people that aren't spiritual either. Amen? Just don't do it. See, the first giant David faced in this story was his own brother. Go back, he says. Go back. And David says in verse 29, what have I done now? Then he goes, Eliab, is there not a cause? Is this not a cause? Is this not worth fighting for? Is there not a cause here? And now notice what one scholar says about David's response. David's response to the situation here teaches us that the great affairs of life are all essentially theological. What we do with our lives, how we decide whom to marry or not, what priorities we pursue, or whether we witness the gospel to friends and neighbors, all reveal what we really believe about God. Regardless of our formal profession of faith, if we seldom act on the basis of biblical truth, we show the world, we show that the world holds greater sway over our minds and hearts than God does. If we shrink from doing difficult things for God, do we really even know Him? See, what you do on a daily basis shows the world whether you believe in God or not. I'm amazed at the number of people who, get, who are born again, saved longer than I am, and have never served in the church at all. You're just like the Israelites standing on the mountain singing when we sing praise songs, and then you go home. Instead of 40 days and 40 nights, you do it for 40 years or 50 years. Yeah, I believe in God. Does your life prove you believe in God? Is there not a cause, he tells the Baptist church, your response to that will say a lot about your relationship to Jesus and whether you really believe Him or not. So you can sign a card, get baptized, and everybody can clap the day that you stand up here, but the day after that tells us whether you believe in God or not. That, do you believe in God? Is there a cause? David would ask you this. Is there a cause? Is there a cause in your life? If so, what are you going to do about it? Verse 34 and verse 36 says this, and I'll go quickly. David said to Saul, your servant, that what David does in 34 and 36, he says this. Here's how I'm qualified. God killed a bear and a lion through me. He's given God the glory. He says, God killed a bear and a lion through me. He says, I want you to understand, i got a pass with God. And then in verse 36, David gives his reason for fighting. Notice, he says this, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like them. Why? Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. That's his reason. It's not because I want to be something special today or be famous. It's because this guy is a blasphemer. Then verses 38, 39, he talks about his armor. Now notice verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. 
and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. See, he ain't talking about being a Christian. He's not singing praise and worship songs and raising his hand in church. He's doing it. Some people think Psalm 3 was written on... David looks back to this day when he wrote the verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 3. Where David says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. And when he comes out in verse 32, David's walking down there by himself. Armies on each side. David draws near him with a shield bearer. And David says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Am I a dog? Notice what David says in verse 45. Classic, one of the greatest speeches in all the Bible. David said to the fifth thing, You come to me with a sword and a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. He says, This is a great mismatch today, Goliath. Great mismatch today. Notice verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Why would he say that? Do you know the penalty in Israel for blasphemy? was stoning to death, and Goliath was about to be stoned. See, in verse 45, he told him why. In verse 46, he's telling him what, how he's going to do it. This day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Notice the next verse, verse 49. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it. Do you realize how powerful a slingshot is? you got a rock about the size of a tennis ball going 100 to 150 miles per hour. The deadliest weapon that day was a slingshot. Easily, in a, in a hand-to-hand combat, I'll take the slingshot all day. The Bible says that it struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Now notice the next verse. I think it's on the screen. Is there another one? There's not. You know what he does in verse 51? After he, to make sure he's dead, he goes over and takes Goliath's own knife, which was probably about that big, and cuts his head off. Nine foot nine. Can you imagine how big, how big that melon is? Have you ever killed a chicken? I had to kill a chicken when I was younger. I, I'm, I was just sitting here thinking about killing that chicken, you know, and having to pluck it and eat it. And then there's, there's David cutting this Philistine's head off, and then he takes it to Jerusalem. Now, this is not a trophy because he took... See, if you kill a person like Goliath in battle, you get his stuff. David got all his stuff. The Bible says his tent was like two stories high. He got that too. He took that to Bethlehem. That's his trophies. He took the head to Jerusalem. You know why? Because the Jebusites had control of Jerusalem. And David says this, your day's coming. And David took Jerusalem for God's honor and glory. That's David. So what do you learn real quickly from this? Notice, notice three things that we should all be like David. And the first one is this. We should be, and do it the right way, is be offended. David was offended. A righteous anger, a zealousness about him. The psalmist says this, and we think David probably wrote it. Zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who re- whose reproach you have fallen on me. The psalmist is saying this, Lord, I'm just upset that people deny who you are and blaspheme your name. Be zealous, church, for God's armor. David took Goliath's insults personally because he was mocking his father in heaven. Psalm 119.53 says this, I became furious with the wicked because they reject your instructions. Do you know how many times Jesus overturned the tables in the temple? 
two different times. The first part of John, the last part of Matthew. He was offended, a righteous indignation, because the people in the temple were mocking God and taking advantage of other people. There are times in your life when you should be offended. Then notice this, take a risk. When you read verse 40, David's walking alone. He's risking his reputation forever. He's risking the, the, the hopes of the nation. If he loses, they're all slaves. He's risking his life. He's risking everything. When is the last time that you, by faith, took a risk for God's glory? See, in verse 41, if you read that, he could have turned back. He could have, but he didn't. And then the final thing is this, be ready to fight. In the New Testament, we're called Christian soldiers. Isn't that amazing? What do soldiers do? Soldiers fight. Paul told Timothy, he said this, you're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. This is not a physical fight. Sometimes you fight with boats. Sometimes you fight with dollars. Sometimes you fight with words. Sometimes you fight with good deeds. You use the appropriate weapons for the cause. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Paul is saying this, spiritual battles are battles of the mind. See, there was, there was a theological battle going on in this valley. Whose God is real? And Paul said in his day it was even worse. And he said this, Our weapons are not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroyed every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. God loved David and chose him. And I would encourage you today to be like David. Defend the honor and glory of God this week, no matter the cost. And I'll close with this. The greatest giant you face today is your lost state before God. Jesus Christ has defeated death, hell, and the grave by taking your sin and God's wrath on the cross. You can defeat COVID, cancer, and still die lost and spend eternity in hell. Place your faith in Jesus Christ today. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. If there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith in you, Lord, today, where they sit, I pray that you gloriously save them for your honor and for your glory. Father, open blinded eyes and raise the spiritually dead, and Lord, save. And I pray that if anyone here is lost, they'd say yes to you today. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then, Father, I pray that you'd rise up some Davids today who would defend the honor and glory of God in Christ-like ways. Lord, the darkest battles that are fought in America today are spiritual battles. They are. Spiritual mindset, Christian worldview, in many places is gone. Lord, and it's sad when it's gone in churches. Lord, I'm thankful to belong to a church and pastor a church that believes the book, the blood, and the blessed hope. And Lord, help us to never be afraid to take a risk for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Before you leave, this is what we're going to do today, okay? I, the only way to get to-go boxes is you go through the sunroom, go out on the sidewalk, and then go through the takeout area, okay?